Boom. You re- you recording? Yep, it's on. Cool. Hi everybody, welcome to the JDO Show, Agitator Edition, Volume Number Two. I'm back here with Kelby Losack. Kelby, how's it going, man? What up? It's going. It's going pretty good. It's going good. Excellent. Excellent. The Houston Swamp Rat. That's your new nickname. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, you're gonna get a little bit of some swamp soundtrack here. So where where are you? Explain to people what you're doing here. I'm walking around the neighborhood. Uh, mm-hmm. Figured it'd be some. I just got this fancy new field recorder, and uh, the first um, first test with it, it sounded really cool. Like it sounded like when you're on shrooms and like the world sort of. At least for me, the volume like turns up. It sounds like uh, like how Uncut Gems um, mm-hmm. has all that fucking background noise throughout the whole thing. That's what being on Shroom sounds like to me. And that's what this that's what this recorder sounded like when I did a little test on it. So I was like, ooh, that'd be that'd be tight as fuck. Do that for the podcast. You want to know something weird, man? I can barely remember what Shrooms are even like and it's only been like a year i think i think i had some when i was in el paso right before i moved but uh yeah man i can't even fucking recall i don't, I don't <laughs> now that i have a kid i don't even know what i'm gonna do them again <laughs> they make me feel normal man like um like I'm, I'm part deaf and i can hear on them and i don't know shit just looks pretty Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, shit definitely looks pretty. Mm. I guess that's not true. I guess I can kind of remember. I'm just being dramatic today. I'm in a dramatic mood. Hell yeah, go off. You choosing violence today? I am. I'm choosing violence. I yelled at some guy because he almost ran into me in the parking lot. It was a. Uh, I was just. I just lost my patience. It's a one of those things you get embarrassed after you do it, but at the time you're in like. I'm gonna kill this motherfucker Type mood You know So You know Chase somebody down And yelled at them There's a kid in the car Blah blah I was in dad mode You know <laughs> Dad mode's real Like We were talking about this How like Moms definitely got that Like mama bear mode You can push them to But they're very yeah. like um, Hey don't start no stupid shit You know With the kid mm-hmm. But like Dad, me, I feel the same way. I get straight aggro over, like, anything. Well, it's just, you know, people want to go out and they want to act foolish, and I think that when people are in their cars, they forget that there are other people in other cars. And I just had to remind this guy, because he started off, you know, when I was started yelling at him, he started off, he said, uh, he said, you people need to learn how to fucking drive. And you were like, what do you mean by you people? That's exactly what I thought. That is exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, man. If, if I was black, dude, I would have had him dead to rights right there. It was like some redneck dude. But uh, but no, once I told him that there was a kid in the car and uh, he shut his ass up and, and I said, uh, and I was just so mad. I was just like, I was just like, fuck you, bitch. And then I like drove off. Um, but uh, yeah. And then I was all ready. I was like scenario planning in my head. I was like, all right, how long is it going to take me to get to my gun? I should, sometimes I drive around with it, but I didn't have it on me that at that point. But I was like, damn, if he's following me, I got to get to the house. I got to get it. I got to get it out of its case. See, I got to just be more 
gangster about it, just have it out under the seat or <laughs> Hell yeah. something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I cleared out my, uh, yeah, mine stays on the console, or I need to get one of those, like, um, I've been looking at those lock leathers, that's like a, mm-hmm. uh, some shit that slides into your pants real easy. Yeah, my buddy uh, in El Paso, he had one of those. It was kind of funny because, like, we worked with kids, and he would take it out, obviously, when he was teaching and stuff. But we'd take it out Other and show it to the kids? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, he'd just take it out, put it in his drawer. But, like, yeah, he had one of these, like, uh, concealed carry things that went down the front. And so it would be wild. We'd be sitting there, like, figuring out chemistry experiments for fourth graders. And I, he would just be strapped up, just sitting there, because he's like, man, you never know. He's like, you never know when it's when something's gonna go down, and I was like, fair enough. I mean, I guess you know, if you're gonna have it, you might as well have it all the time. You know, yeah. You'd feel like a real fucking idiot if you owned three, four guns, and you know, then something went down and you didn't have a single one of them on you. Those are the most responsible people. Just keep it on you at all times, because then it's like not even a thing. It's just you know, an article of clothing mm-hmm. that you could whip mm-hmm. out and bust at somebody if need be. If need be, yeah. If if there's if there's ever a, a, a an opportunity, well, opportunity is the wrong word. If a crisis should evolve, <laughs> then you can take it out. It's like, man, I've been waiting for this shit. <laughs> Dude, yeah, and you know that kind of anger is so interesting too, man. Because like, of course, the adrenaline rush kicks in because you are kind of taking a risk whenever you, you know. In, engage with a redneck like that you know what I mean mm-hmm. like because you, you you know I mean what do you say there's about an 80% chance there's something in there um, oh yeah yeah probably so, higher <laughs> yeah yeah probably higher than that so I don't know it was just like I've just been watching a lot of Breaking Bad and I was like I was, my inner Walter White was coming out but um yeah I've been rewatching that that show's so good it's been like 10 years since I watched it it's it holds up really good, but it's a nice time capsule of the late two thousands, right? Like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, stuff like that. Everybody's all wearing Echo and shit, you know, and saying things like church. Yeah, that's that's what the wire is. I've been watching that for the first time. I'm on like season four, and everybody's like the the technology is a time capsule, and like a lot of the clothing people wear in G Unit. Not as like a throwback, mm-hmm. just because it's like relevant at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, D. D wears a lot of uh, very early two thousands. Oh yeah. Clothing. Oh yeah. The fucking Timberlands and like the Carhartt beanies and shit. Yeah. Rest in peace to D. By the way. R.I.P. Um, I was pissed, dude. Man, like four seasons, so I won't spoil anything. But you're so for the first three seasons at least. I think that was the first show that I watched where things like that happened and I I was just like god damn Jesus you know like where people like characters you like just get fucking murdered and kind of nothing happens Um, I think that that blew my mind when I first saw it yeah I didn't know if I could continue after uh, the end of season three I was like all right everybody says this is good but like I knew Avon's story was kind of done with and I was like man that became my dude at the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Barksdale. Avon Barksdale. Yeah, but then four does get good, and then five is kind of meh. But it's worth it just to finish out the series. Yeah, I'm digging the shit with the kids <clears throat> so far. 
I figured you would. Fucking perfect. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but no, no, it really is like the best. And you know, a lot of their their storylines conclude in season five, so you, you're gonna want to watch it just to like you know see where everybody ends up. But um, but today on the show, we uh, this is Agitator Part Two. We are continuing our discussion of films by Takashi Miike, and the the kid, uh, Mr. Kelby here, uh, selected Visitor Q as the first one we would talk about. Man, I kind of hate this movie. I kind of love it. Um, it is just like a, it is just a nasty piece of work. This is another one that I hadn't seen. So this came out originally on uh, Tartan Asia Extreme. Uh, they came out with a lot of. Miike movies back in the day. I think uh, maybe The Ring was on these on this series too. I know A Tale of Two Sisters was on there. Um, but yeah, Tartan Asian Extreme. Like back in the days of DVDs, if you wanted to watch shit like this, you got it from that label pretty much. Um, so this was probably... Man, I, I want to say I was still in high school because the movie came out in 2001... I want to say I watched it in 2004 or 2005, so I was like 17 or 18, and uh, like most Miike things, it completely scrambled my brain and turned everything upside down. Um, you want to take it from here? You want to talk about this movie a little bit? This 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 incredibly um, just nasty, nasty-ass movie. Yeah, so I, I chose it as the perfect launch to just dive into the deep end. And I remember, like, mm-hmm. when I started, I had to hunt it down. Like, I found clips of it, like a an unfinished version of it on a pirate site. And then um, there's clips on YouTube, and I finished it on... They have, like, half of the movie on Daily Motion. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of fill in the blanks with what I remembered with oh, the rest of it. Let me stop, let me stop you there. So anybody who's looking for it, because I ran into the same problem you did. Anybody who's looking to pirate this movie, which I think it's totally fine to... I mean, you and I don't give a shit about pirating anyway, but if you guys, if people have any qualms about pirating it, it's currently, there's no distribution for it, so you're not going to be able to find it, unless you want to pay like $500 for a DVD, but if you go to the Pirate Bay and you type in Visitor Q, you're going to get a lot of porn, um, because it's like, you know, Daddy's Lonely Visitor and shit like that, um, with like a, a string of letters after it, and one of them is a Q, but if you search for... Bizita, like the Japanese version of it, like Bizitaku, right? Oh. If you search B I Z I T A Q, you can download the whole movie from Pirate Bay. There's like four or five seeders on there, so uh, yeah, that's how you find it if you if you want to find it. Phonetics, um, that's how you do that. Yeah, yeah. I don't even I don't even know how I figured that out, honestly. Uh, you were just I think being I was racist. Like, <laughs> You're like I'm looking for a I was fucking I was walking around my house just like just scheming. again like Walter White you know how he can figure out how to make a car battery out of like pennies and a sponge and I can figure out how to be racist in a profitable way those are those are our two two skills um, but uh, no so I think I was actually just looking for it on Google and I realized that the Japanese title was busy and I was like hmm let me try that just a little bit of creative googling for you but anyway i interrupted please continue hell yeah but then like when i when i was watching it again i was like so i remember when i first saw this movie i was like damn this is a fucking masterpiece and i never want to watch it again 
And then when I was watching it again, I was like, oh, I remember why I didn't want to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so the, I guess the basic plot rundown is like there's a random dude who clonks this uh, perverted dad over the head with a rock. And, uh, mm-hmm. and after that, the dad invites him to stay with his family. And mm-hmm. they're just like filming the family doing fucked up shit. Uh, Mm -hmm. like fucking each other or beating each other up throwing knives at each other and like Mm -hmm. his son oh it starts off with him trying to document his son constantly getting bullied Mm -hmm. and like it turns him on like the dad gets turned on by his son getting beat up and so he like Mm -hmm. wants to make a documentary about it to find out why he's feeling like maybe he can work out his feelings by stalking his son and filming him getting beat up Mm -hmm. so in the I'm not sure if this was part of the stuff that you watched but the first scene of the movie is a title card and uh, come town fans will appreciate this but it's just a card with the words uh, have you ever fucked your dad on it um (laughs) And what follows after that is the opening sequence. Now, this movie is 84 minutes long. It's one hour and 24 minutes. And literally the first 10 10 minutes of it is a painfully slow... uh, It's not a static camera angle. The camera angle does change, but it feels very still. But just a static uh, shot of the dad being seduced and having sex with his prostitute daughter, right? Um, They're kind of negotiating the price, and then he, you know, he starts, uh, you know, getting hit, and then he has sex with her, and he comes too quick, so she starts telling him that he owes her more money because he came too quick. Um, And (laughs) so that's the opening sequence right there, right? And... You want to talk about, like, a barrier to entry. I think that when you're making art... I've been thinking a lot about making things that are palatable to people, that people, like, want to watch or or read, I guess, in our case. And I think that uh, that that is um, something that Miike does really, really well. But I do like that he has movies like this and Itchy the Killer and Dead or Alive that have these kind of like, you know, the ticket to entry is right up front of the movie, right? And in my opinion, as an artist, that's the respectful thing to do. Like, you're kind of telling your audience, like, look, if you can't make it through the first 10 minutes of this, you're not going to like the rest of it. So here it is, I guess. And how, because that's kind of bookmarked mm-hmm. a little bit with the, uh, the way the movie ends. Mm-hmm. So the movie, wait, hold on, let me remember this. So the movie, I just rewatched this shit, and I'm working on my memory. So uh, I remember they're sawing up the, they they kill the kids, kill the or chop up the reporter. Uh, oh right, 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 with the the mom with the milk, right, mm-hmm. where they're in the tarp. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah, after that, like right after that scene, yeah, the dad's like going home, uh, and he sees. His son getting bullied. Like you said, he's kind of into the idea. Also, I want to say, before we continue talking about this movie, because everything that we're talking about sounds really fucked up, there is, like, a lighthearted playfulness to the whole movie. 
with like <laughs> cartoon sound effects and people like kind of mugging for the camera. Like it's this he made a movie called Happiness of the Catacuries, which is more of like a family film. But like Visitor Q tonally is exactly the same as Happiness of the Catacuries. It's just what's actually happening is so fucked up. Yeah, it's right? goofy as so, hell. Yeah, it's goofy. It's like it's te- it, it's a comedy. It's like the blackest of black comedies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically he goes from there, and then we're, we cut to the home scene, and the son just beats up on the mom with like these little uh, little racket things. I don't know what those fucking things are for. They look weird. Um, it's not like for cricket, is it? No, yeah, I had no idea either. I thought it was a gardening yeah. tool at first. Yeah, so he basically beats up his mom for, like, whatever, you know, for, like, little minor infractions. And then he's getting bullied by kids at school, and his dad is, um, you know, obsessed with making this, like, documentary about how his son is bullied and how he, like, sticks up for him and shit like that. And then, yeah, this strange guy with a kind of an afro who barely speaks, um, you know, he just teaches the family how to love again. And he does that by uh, milking the mother by like squeezing her tits and making a bunch of milk come out um yeah i mean what else really is there in this movie besides him you know killing the reporter and then getting stuck inside of her corpse while he's having sex with it yeah Uh, yeah. which by the way is also really funny when he finally gets out of it when his wife shoots him up with heroin so that his dick will shrink and get out of the rigor mortis vagina it makes this noise like a like a boop you know and it's just fucking hilarious yeah they're all like helping each other by the end with like so it is really like a cycle of uh abuse that comes full circle and like how you know people the pain that is inflicted upon you know outside sources you project onto the ones you most love or care about Mm -hmm. and uh so like it's really honestly to me it's like easy to understand on that aspect like if you just start talking about yeah. the movie you kind of see it from that point of view but mm-hmm. I was thinking this time around I was like it's I wonder how meta this is or of course I saw it as pretty yeah. meta this time walk, like watching it whereas like the reporter sort of seems like well basically like report like film critics or whatever like who are um because uh, she critiques the the way in which, uh, or no, she doesn't critique. He's projecting his own like shortcomings onto her when he's um, when he mm-hmm. beats her up and like starts raping her. The dad mm-hmm. starts raping the reporter. He's like, um, "Is do you want this to go on longer and shit like that?" And I was just like, mm-hmm. "Man, is he talking about the movie right now?" Right. Oh, that's good. That's good. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, it, it is kind of, it, the whole thing seems like just like a provocation. Um, I think that Miike has done that in a lot of his more well-known movies. It seems like the most famous ones are the most fucked up ones. But uh, this one in particular from, kind of from beginning to end, there's really, there's like no scene that you would like want somebody to walk in on you watching while it was on pretty much in the whole movie yeah no i had to watch it by myself (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
there's uh there's some other funny stuff too that I thought was like kind of really darkly humorous. Um, one of them is how like when the kid is beating up the mom, uh, the the dad and visitor Q are just completely unaffected by it. Like they're just like eating dinner and talking. Like while in the background, he's like kicking his mom through walls and shit. <laughs> I uh, I thought <laughs> there's there is definitely like a sense of humor to this whole thing that's going on. You just kind of have to. There there just kind of used to be a time, I guess, where you know where everybody kind of knew that movies were um, fake. Although I say that, but like this movie did cause a lot of controversy when it when it came out. But I don't know, man. It just always kind of seemed like people sought this kind of shit out. I remember I did. If I heard that a movie was fucked up, like like Sallow or um, or this one or uh, Itchy the Killer or uh, if I had known about Melancholy Durangle at the time or if it was even out at the time, I probably would have sought that one out. Uh, Serbian film is another one, right? Like, you used to hear about these movies that were, like, you know, fucking extreme, and and it would be exciting. And I don't think we really get that way about movies anymore. I don't think people do. No, no, I don't think... I haven't really, like... I've been thinking about this even when uh, Erica and I recently watched 40-Year-Old Virgin, which is, like, from mm-hmm. the same... Uh, around the same, early, like, early 2000s and shit. And I was like, man, comedies used to be, like, made to be funny. Like, that was the point. Mm-hmm. And then there were movies like this mm-hmm. that were, like, made to provoke. And, like, that was the point. And, like, you could read into it as much as you wanted. But I don't know. And it's, it's like, shit like this has more. Because I feel like this movie has a lot of depth to it. Like, there could be so many essays written about it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Which would take out a lot of the fun of it. But still, like, you could you can look into it as much as you want and dissect it as much as you want but I think it was made mm-hmm. very much to just like provoke different visceral reactions I think so too I wonder why though I know I wonder what the um, I wonder what the thought process was going into this movie specifically with some of the characters in it like the reporter who gets raped and killed and then you know her body is kind of used as a as a prop right for the for the rest of the movie i was like thinking about that actress and i was like how do they pitch this to her and then she was like yeah okay yeah this is what i want to do yeah i thought it must have just been money <laughs> i thought the same thing unless mm-hmm. i don't know unless they they pitched something deeper to her like she just got it you know right like she just right. understood what they were doing I know I wouldn't be in this shit. I don't think I'd be in this shit in any capacity. <laughs> Kelby would play the Kelby would play the sun. Be like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. I could do the sun, or I could uh, I could be the visitor. You know, with the yeah, with the cool right, haircut. Just, yeah, just hanging out with the fucking Goku hair. Um, but uh, yeah, no. So there's another. There's a great line in. Uh, the movie where he's uh, he's having sex with the corpse and uh, he says to the corpse he's like oh my god you're wet he's like you're getting you're you're dead but you're getting wet he's like this is the mystery of life the beauty of life and the the secrets of life and existence and then he's like uh, I'm getting the, the line wrong here but he like reaches down and his hand comes back up and it's covered in shit and he's like oh He's like, there is no mystery to life. It's all just shit. It's all just shit, yeah. 
<laughs> so it's like so much of the dad's dialogue like there's that and then um when the when the bullies are like shooting up the house with fireworks and uh mm -hmm. the dad gets all excited about that he's like oh the super he what is he like the super cool bullies or the big awesome bullies are here and uh he right. like gets his camera up and right uh he's like what does he say uh he says uh or no maybe it's not in this scene but at some point he's filming something and he's like how should i feel and i was like damn that's how i feel watching this like <laughs> yeah how should yeah, i feel yeah and and it's interesting because so much of the movie is based around you know him filming everything with this camcorder and so there is some not so subtle nothing about this movie is subtle right but uh there's some kind of not so subtle commentary i think on the uh how do you say on like the, the increasing ubiquity of technology in 2000 2001 this was probably shot in like 1999 or 2000 or something like that but you know everything's being filmed this is um in a way it's commentary reads to me as kind of quaint because if Mike had any idea what, what was going to happen with cell phones or whatever uh even this very unsubtle commentary would not have been uh, as quote-unquote subtle as it was. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of the technology aspect, like, I thought it was genius um, as a technical move on their part to, like, so they're never restricted to one camera, like, where you have to always make sure there's a character who's holding a camera for some reason. Like, the whole movie is shot on a camcorder, and sometimes it's from, like, the dad's perspective, sometimes it's from the visitor's perspective, and sometimes it's just from a camcorder, like, right, with nobody right. holding it. Man, there's something about digital video, too, like, things being shot on camcorders that gives it just this really ugly, grimy look to it that I really like. Uh, Inland Empire is also shot on digital like that. The movie that I mentioned earlier, I've never really even been brave enough to look it up, but it's it's called Melancholy Derangle. I heard about it on uh, Perfume Nationalist. They uh, it's one of their earlier episodes back when they had uh, the like the the really racist guy who would come on, like the actual like neo Nazi mm -hmm. would come on and talk about movies with them. Um, there, it's this movie about. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just like two guys who just do all this horrible shit to these women or something like that. That's the loose plot of it, right? But apparently that's shot on on video and it also has like kind of silly sing-song music to it or I think Jack calls it like beautiful sounding music, which with Jack who knows what that even means, yeah, right? That's true. Like one of the, one of the things that makes that dude so fascinating to me is that like I I I can't I don't get what he's talking about sometimes because <laughs> like uh not to take a complete detour into perfume nationalist but like i went to because uh, he loves aromatics elixir and so i went to an ulta and i smelled aromatics elixir and i was like what the fuck is this guy talking about <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah this shit is this shit smells weird not, but you know just... he's got a, he's got a developed palate man he's got a developed palate <laughs> well he admits that he doesn't you know just because he he hasn't a uh, he's the authority because he has the microphone, but like 
he admits all the time like I, I just like what I like like I don't know why people think yeah. that I have some refined sense of smell or something man I think that's probably the best podcast right now it, I just I'll just like be at home with my son with like nothing at all to do and I'll, I'll go through like three or four episodes of that in a day and just like hearing them talk about art and like just hearing them like just rail on 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 the libs you know it's very cathartic for me you know because I, I don't i don't get that very much from from kind of our circles you know yeah it's it's a cathartic in that sense and then it's like on the the side where because that and the film talk used to be my favorite parts of the the episodes because i understood them the most but i started really digging how they talked about a uh, perfume and it started making mm-hmm. me a better writer because I started thinking of like what smells smelled like, like you mm-hmm. know, like he mm-hmm. like describes smells in these very like vibrant ways, and I'd be like, holy shit, I've never really thought him of him and his brother, dude, his brother too, his brother yeah. will come up with yeah. some like synesthetic way of describing smells, and the, you know the way that the dry down smells versus the the top of the scent or whatever. And, uh, yeah, I never thought that I was going to be interested in perfume, but, you know, I guess familiarity, right? You listen to enough of them and you get, like, you get perfume-pilled. So, anybody who's listening to this, uh, well, check it out. You might not like it, but I also don't care. Um, (laughs) you might not like what he has to say, but I'm beginning to realize that, like, man, I think that a lot of people who we know, uh, don't like, like, they get mad about stuff but like that's when you can tell that they they know it's kind of true and that's kind of what happens i think with the the perfume nationals man i've listened to a few episodes where i've heard some shit that they've said and i've been like god damn that is like but then i thought about it a bit and i'm like hmm well it's not a bad point actually you've got a point there <laughs> you've, got, you've got a point but uh i mean but that's really i think what puts uh, you know, you and me just in kind of a different category, I think, than most people is that, you know, we don't just shut things out when we don't agree with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I like uh, I like having my thoughts challenged. And, uh, you can't grow if people are just constantly just, like, massaging you, just being, like, or, right. or patting you on the head, like, yeah, that's a good boy. Say the things I like. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, oh man, that is just... Oh man, I walked into a Barnes & Noble today with my son, and we weren't in there for very long because I was able to get a coffee from Starbucks, and uh, and then he, you know, he started up on his bullshit, and so I kind of gave him his bottle, and trying to like feed an infant and kind of browse the stacks is um, challenging, to say the least, right? But uh, I saw some, some some books on, like, the main... I saw books from the homies, too. I saw Jeremy's book and Steven's book and stuff like that. Oh, hell yeah. But I saw I saw some books from, um, from some enemies on, the, on, the, on, like, the main table. You know what I mean? And I was just like, ah, I got to get back in the game, you know? Like, my... my uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, he can't get away with this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like, kinda, that was kind of my, my, my vibe with it. Success, a spite is like a driving uh-huh. force sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, I mean, like, you know, I mean, it is cool. I saw more friends in there than anime. Well, it was really it was just one person who, you know, I kind of 
I mean, you know, you know who I'm talking. You have to know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just thought that that was hilarious. I was like, really, main table, this, really. Um, but uh, hey, Barnes and Nobles is hurting just like everybody else, right? So they gotta, they gotta shovel that garbage out. <laughs> but uh, that that fucking everybody pretends is good. You're all lying. I know you're all you're lying. You're full of shit, and you now mean, you know which one we're talking about. You're full of shit. <laughs> you, you know too. Oh, dude, you know how many people I've talked to on the phone, and I've just like I've done exactly what we're doing here. I've been like, man, you know, there's this book out that, uh, you know, it's just it's not that. And they've been like, oh, you're talking about blue, 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 right? And I was like, so every everybody fucking knows, dude. Like, it's just you know everybody's just waiting to say it. And, and nobody has the fucking guts. And apparently neither do I, because I haven't said it, and I'm not going to. I've said so. it, but I was asked to take it off of where I said it. So I was like, That happens a lot with you. Yeah, it does. I'll, like, we'll just have the most cathartic conversation, and then the guests that I have <laughs> will be like, Hey, bro, can you, like, delete that? I'll be like, All right, fine, you pussy. <laughs> One day, Kelby will be able to just, you know... I guess if it's on heathenish, though, oh, but, like, but you can have guests who can be, like, you know, oh, can you not say that, please? Um, has that ever happened on your show? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like, it'll ha- it'll mm. happen on my mm-hmm. show, and they'll be like, hey, could you please delete that? Oh, I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> Were y'all going in on the, on the same guy? Yeah. Were y'all talking about the same person? Yeah. Damn. See, I'm telling you, everybody knows. This is, like, a complete... It would kind of just like, I don't know if like, I guess, red-pilled is the wrong word, right? But that's kind of like the, the, the main word that's going around, you know? Like where you become, like where your eyes open up, basically, and you, you kind of see what's going on. Bro, um, this car that just drove by. So it's had like a neon undercarriage and the windshield says daddy's money. That's what's up. <laughs> it's like a jacked up GMC. <laughs> That's cool. I saw um, I saw this chick with like a bunch of tattoos driving like a fucking dirty, beat up, like twenty year old prism, and it had a big old Infowars sticker on the back. I was like, I'll bet you she's cool at parties. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, what was I saying? I forget. I don't. I can't remember. Who gives a fuck? Oh yeah, no. It's just like it really kind of opened my eyes to like how this is writing is the writing community or whatever is just a it's just a workplace and a business like everywhere else and you're kind of just expected to say all the fake shit so that you can have a have a shot right just like all those all those people who dutifully unfollowed me when uh said that they should yeah yeah fuck that guy Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got more followers. Uh, so anyway, so like, <laughs> yeah, I actually it, on balance I complain about it, but I did too. I just you know, I was just a little blindsided. I don't know. I was holding on to like some kind of belief that people had something approaching integrity, but I should have I should have known better than that. But anyway, visitor Q. Okay, cool. A good detour there. Um, by the way, Jack, if you're listening to this, let us let us come on Perfume Nationalist. It's our favorite show. Yeah, um, we love it, bro. Bring us on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> um, uh, do we have more? Th- See, here's the thing about Visitor Q, man. 
it's shot in a very uh, deliberate kind of pace. I think that I counted maybe a two dozen scenes total in the movie. Um, not a whole lot of stuff happens. I think we kind of went over the plot. There's very little dialogue in it. A lot of it's very quiet, in fact. Um, especially the kind of long, drawn-out scenes of the mom, uh, you know, shooting heroin, and uh, any scene with the visitor himself is quiet because he he barely speaks. So, I mean, overall, if this was shot with, like, MTV pacing, this would be, like, the first 30 minutes of a movie, basically. And then it would kind of start after they'd killed all the kids, and then you'd have a whole rest of the movie to go. But that's not what this one's interested in doing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very deliberate and just showing that. And that's another thing. I don't want to take the nostalgia angle too much because I've been trying to stop, like, doing that, uh, stop sounding like an old man. And just Mm -hmm. mainly because I don't want to yearn for something that, like, I could simply recreate. You know what I mean? Like, if I miss there being a certain type of art, I could just, you know, make that art. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's got that, deli- like, this is what we're going to show, uh, and it's, but how focused it is, like, again, it's a it's a simple family movie, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it, uh, it kind of does, like, nothing happens and yet it hits these beats like um it it has a full arc with each character uh except maybe the son i don't think he ever has a cathartic moment no he's kind of he's kind of the bitch of the of the family which makes sense right because he's kind of like he starts off as the bully and then you know he doesn't really get he hasn't really come around to anything, I guess, except for the, the bullies get, you know, their heads sawed off and, you know, a screwdriver in the head. It's all very cartoonish. Um, but, yeah. Just trying to look over here to see if um, if Miike actually had any kind of quote um, about... Hmm. I'm just looking up. As we're speaking, I'm looking up quotes here because I'm, you know, very prepared for this podcast (laughs) it's a low Um, low uh low effort yeah low effort um so this quote i don't it doesn't really mean anything it's like visitor q taught me that there are some kinds of films that can only be made as low budget films that really wouldn't work as anything else that that's actually kind of interesting because we've been thinking a lot about low budget films uh you and i lately Mm -hmm. and some other folks and um it is kind of interesting because the the low budget nature of this movie does did probably allow him to do kind of whatever he wanted to do, um, but I think I think low budget is like it's a feeling and an aesthetic as much as it is a, you know a budgetary constraint. Yeah, because there's a lot of like low budget shit, quote unquote, that'll be like, oh, so how much did that cost him? And it'll be like twenty million dollars. It's like what mm-hmm. what. <laughs> thought you said this was a low budget movie (laughs) right yeah exactly no i yeah yeah i think we might have actually talked about this last time so i won't go over my low budget rant again but uh but this kind of proves that you can make cool shit i I wonder if they have the actual budget for it 
visitor queue budget. It better not be in yen, because I don't know how to convert yeah. that. But Google does, <laughs> I guess. Seven hundred billion yen. It's like seven mil. Okay, so it is seven seven million yen to USD. Oh, it cost uh, sixty thousand dollars to make. Damn. Damn! So these actors couldn't have been paid shit. Nah. You mean to tell me that like the woman who pretended to be a corpse and got like drawn on and raped and shit like she probably got paid the equivalent of like what maybe five thousand dollars you know what she was a real life prostitute that's the quickest five thousand dollars she's ever made it has to be has to be or like a porn actress or something like that you know it's like it's all the kind of all the same to her you know Mm -hmm. um that's gotta be it holy shit but dude i see this all the time like clerks cost uh our equivalent of 40 grand um, I want to no Reservoir Dogs was more than that, but a lot of the these like early '90s filmmakers who kind of did their thing the indie way, uh, their their movies are all about that expensive. So it's like fuck if you can come up with sixty grand, you can make something really fucking good. You can make something for bro. You can make something good for like five hundred dollars. Yeah. You can make something good for like zero dollars. You could. You could. I was talking to a producer who was living in Houston for a while, but after the. Uh, the fake pandemic he moved off so Mm -hmm. like but we were gonna shoot some shit and i was like bro i know like he wanted me to write it so i wrote something and he was like i don't understand any of this so i wrote him something else and he was like all right cool we can do that i was like bet and i know like every motherfucker who could play in this they'll do it for like free Mm -hmm. like they'll just want to be in a movie right yeah me and uh me and some buddies were doing that with lowdown like almost 10 years ago and we just got like friends together and we shot the full like first 10 minutes of the movie um and it was just like kind of straight out of the book the guy we got for danny ames was this guy who still lives i think he lives in my neighborhood right now um he's like uh he's a weeb right but he's like really into ninja shit so he's like a black ninja basically and um made a pretty decent Danny Ames uh not not exactly who I would have in mind I'd have in mind somebody like like a big motherfucker you know like a 50 cent kind of prime exactly yeah 50 cent would have been perfect um who else would have been good I don't know somebody like that some scary motherfucker like uh the guy who plays uh Omar right or something like that yeah yeah I was actually thinking if like Marlo got jacked Mm mm-hmm yeah that would be that would actually be perfect somebody yeah kind of dead-eyed like that but um but yeah no but anyway the point is uh you can make all kinds of cool shit with like no money and people should yeah yeah following the like art and money trail like it's hard to get a lot of people especially so around here like even being south of houston everybody is very much into music and shit and so everybody's on an artistic path and um, they are very quick to start charging motherfuckers for shit, which I understand on one hand, and then on the other hand, I'm like, but if none of us, like, and I say us, like, I'm not all that into the music scene, but um, mm-hmm. just, uh, like, artists in general, like, if not, ain't none of us, like, made it, why are you trying to, like go all business already you know what i mean like Mm -hmm, don't mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. it'd be so much 
it'd be honestly super easy to make the most badass like South Houston cipher with some of the like hardest up and coming rappers if they would stop charging each other if they would just all want to hop on like seven yes. ten like of them just all want to hop on the same track it'd be the most badass track and then whatever happens with it you know share the uh, share whatever comes from it but like they all want to be like yeah but I ain't hit, <laughs> like don't even hit my line if you ain't talking that feature price I'm like bro what the fuck well it's like exactly and writers for a while there was this trend in uh, on writing Twitter to be like you know pay the writer always get paid people die from exposure that was a popular one that people said <laughs> and I always thought that that was dumb as fuck I was like wait who do you th- I'm sorry who do you think you are um, that's not how this works that's not how any of this works you know what I mean in rap and you know this better than I do so you can correct me if I'm wrong but most rappers I would assume who make it at all actually probably end up paying something to the tune of $100,000 to get where they are uh, because it's an investment and they are the ones who have to pay for features right and they have to pay for exposure to be played on the radio to you know get higher up in spotify's algorithms you know all that kind of stuff that's why so many rappers are drug dealers right because that's mm-hmm. that's that's where that's how they fund their rap career because it's like it's like any other business you have startup costs and i've always thought that writers um were just always immediately wanting to be like visitor q right they want to be on mom's tit just immediately and just be treated like royalty and like here's your you know six-figure book deal and you know we'll, we'll pay you you know five hundred dollars for a short story or whatever and it's like no see and i always had kind of a salty opinion about this because i ran a small press uh and i was very fortunate that i always worked with people who were very understanding uh mostly because i told them that there was no money in this kind of shit right but I used to see people, you know, going off on, you know, small magazines that people were trying to start, you know, because they wouldn't pay. They don't they, they didn't pay for anything. Um, and I was like, see, this is why we don't have a scene like this is why the scene disappears and why now we have people having to go back to big presses and trying to play that game. It's because of nobody. Uh, nobody tried to cultivate the indie scene like that, you know? Nobody was willing to take a hit because everybody was so fucking precious and thought that they were already James Patterson when they're not. Yeah, yeah. And I firmly believe in, like, you just put something good into the universe and it'll send it back. So, like, if you're making good, you know, art and you're cultivating a, a real culture, like, full of, like vibrant art and like you know helping each other's creativity thrive and shit like you'll become successful somewhere down the line but like trying to manipulate it to where the success is like just the thing like it it's just not gonna work for you or you're gonna get there and like you're just gonna be dead because like i know people or we both know people who like they've made it but their shit can't even stand toe-to-toe with ours. Like, on any given day, you know, they'll be, like, naming us as some of their favorite writers, and mm-hmm. they're pushing out B-grade material just to, you know, make a paycheck. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But 
uh, I've been feeling really positive about the whole writing thing. Basically, I just, um, I had to come to a lot of conclusions lately. I woke up yesterday thinking about death and what it would be like to be dead. Um, not in a morbid way, not in like a, uh, oh shit, hold on, I gotta plug my fucking computer in. It's gonna die. It's gonna die. It's gonna die. It's gonna die. Alright. Uh. Alright. Oh shit, it's not plugged into the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Me, bro. Oh shit, the mic's not plugged in. No, my mic isn't plugged in at all, actually. Uh, (laughs) Oh shit, the breaker ain't turned on. I'm leaving all that in. Um, but, uh, okay, so, yeah, I was thinking about death, and not in a morbid way, not in a goth way, not in an emo way, not in a feeling sorry for myself kind of way, but I was actually just kind of, I just woke up, and I don't know if I'd had a dream, because I don't remember if I if I dreamt. Having a kid just, like, sucks the energy out of you where, you know, I don't know about you, man, but I, I close my eyes and I open them, and it's, like, a few hours later, basically. I was going to say, that's, like, that's the next week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I just woke up, though, and I was like, I just had this kind of, like, lingering thought. And it was tripping me out because if you ever really think about death, it's it's really, uh, it's kind of far out, man. Because, you know, you're trying to conceive of something that is inconceivable, you know. You're trying to think about, like, what it would be to be outside of, you know, um, this kind of element that we're in and then i you know i turned on my podcatcher and sometimes i like to see what uh connor habib is up to on his podcast so i opened it up and one of the episodes in the you know three months or so since i listened to the show was called the spiritual politics of the dead and it's a solo episode and connor gives this really great elucidation of you know sort of what as far as he knows from occult teachings and stuff like what happens when you when you die like what's what's going on with that so I was like, okay, that's a pretty cool synchronicity. And then I, you know, I was walking down the street to buy some Mexican food and a, a car sped by and a, like a guy in a dog costume was hanging out the window and like waving at me. So I just kind of like waved back and I didn't know what that meant at all. But, uh, you know, then I was like, ah, maybe like Anubis, psychopomps, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's something going on with that. But I don't really think that there's a one-to-one match with that because sometimes the universe just talks and... It doesn't make sense to us because the universe doesn't necessarily speak English. We do. Um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so I was thinking about death. And uh, I don't know, dude. It just kind of got me thinking about, like, fear, right? So fear was another uh, kind of big thing. And I think, like, I don't know. If, I don't really think I did any kind of work for this. I don't. I don't think, you know. But I just, like, a part of my fear I think kind of went away um I think that's what got me into the altercation with the guy in the parking lot today you know um I think that's just been just been on my mind I was just like like what are you so fucking scared of you know and I haven't been producing work like my last novel that wasn't a black gum book the last book that I put out that was published by a press that was not run by me was going on 10 years ago now, you know? And I was like, what are you fucking scared of, dude? So, 
I don't know, just like kick that fear to the curb. And I'm just like, I don't fucking care, man. Like, let's just, I just want to write books. Mm. And you had to confront that. Like, you had to like adopt the, I think most, like my annoyance with a lot of people, I've died twice. So like, I don't even have that, like, I don't give a shit about death. Um, And I, Mm -hmm. I can see like a lot of people's hang up is a fear of death. And, like, that's interesting the way that, like, you were diving into that. Like, you adopted that fear of death and projected it as your own fear of not being your, like, your image of yourself, like, as an artist. Like, you had your own Mm -hmm. fear and hang-up about, like, what you're writing. Right. No, that's absolutely correct, you know, and I think that starting to do this podcast about Miike is helping a lot too, you know, kind of going back through through his podcast, I mean, listening to Perfume Nationalist and just kind of hearing people talk about things that they like without, you know, a filter on there, um, all this kind of stuff that, you know, that we can just, we can just do things, right (laughs) i know that sounds like like the most basic shit but usually when you come upon some kind of like deep truth it comes out sounding fucking retarded like that you know you just do stuff man but it really just is that you know like the fuck am i afraid of you know like what's what i'm gonna write a bad book hey guess what yeah yeah maybe you already did uh some of those books aren't gonna land some of those books aren't gonna hit there's like you know the sunk cost fallacy, right? Where you uh, you know you put so much time and effort into something that it's kind of like why I finished college, even though I shouldn't have, because there was like a sunk cost in the whole thing. Like, oh, I spent this much money, I might as well finish, even though it's smarter to just stop. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a reverse sunk cost fallacy, right? And the longer I went without writing, the more I was like, fuck, this next book's got to be like a banger. It's got to be great. Well. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. Like that was that was my hangup for the longest time too, and then I mean, really, you just gotta. Yeah, I don't. There's, there's not much more of a way to say it besides you. You just do it. You just come back full circle. It's like that meme, that like chart meme with a. It's like the derp face on one side, and it's like, no, just do it. And then, like, up above, yeah. it'll be like, actually, you have to invest all this time and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, down low mm-hmm. at the other side is the shaman, and he's like, just do it. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. <laughs> we're the fucking we're the fucking sage Wojak right now, you know? Like, Or maybe we're the fucking goober. Who knows? We're one of those Who two. Knows? Either but, way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the move. They talk about this a lot, or uh, Barrett on the Contain podcast uh, you've heard that one, right? Yeah. Listen to that one. Yeah, I fuck with that one. But he's always talking about, you know, uh, Byung-Chul Han and, you know, the idea of uh, the idiot, right? And how the, the, the idiot is the mode of, um, I think he calls it the retard, right? That that's like, that's like the mode of the coming century is that you can achieve a sort of like zen appreciation of things like art and life and things like that if you just stop... Uh, thinking and like and engaging in all this kind of stuff and I I think that his talking about it really kind of started a, a cycle in my brain of thinking about this kind of stuff um, and it's fucking true dude you know when you start 
seeing how people get lost uh, in the in the data and in the details of any given argument, whether it's political or scientific or religious or whatever, you just kind of realize that like, oh fuck, you know, I was in Barnes and Noble today and I had this thought, right? I'm like, damn, there's maybe, man, there's like at least like a hundred books in there, right? Uh, and <laughs> probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe more, but like, but there's a there's like a bunch of books in there, and every single one of those books has. Uh, you know, at least a hundred pages. Most of them, probably on average, about three hundred pages. And I was walking by the political section, right? And it was called, uh, you know, how Trump lost the election. So there's a there, this is a whole this is how publishers stay alive, right? They sell this shit to boomers. Um, and I was like, huh, that looks pretty thick. That's probably about eighty, ninety thousand words. Uh, there's probably some evidence in there about how Donald Trump you know, legitimately lost the election, right? Uh, Conversely, I had just gotten done listening to Thaddeus Russell's podcast where he had a guy on who was talking about how that shit was stolen, Uh, which is what I think, not because I, you know, give a shit one way or the other who wins the presidency, but because I just kind of assume everybody steals elections. Yeah, yeah, I think that's how they all win. if if you won, you probably cheated, um, and 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 this one is definitely weirder than it's weirder than your average one. We'll just say that much, right? Um, again, not that I give a shit. Anyway, my point is is that you know this guy on the podcast, maybe he was bullshit, I don't know, but he said I have probably seven hours worth of material that I can go through that will just like fucking blow your mind, and maybe he does. I don't care. I'm not going to listen to that. Um, and maybe in this fucking three, four hundred page book, maybe there's just as much evidence that nothing happened. You know what I mean? But like, think about the seven hours you would spend listening to this blowhard guy talk, right? And then think about the, uh, let's see, 300 pages, what is that, like five, five hours maybe? Yeah. Six hours? Yeah. Of like of reading that you'd have to do to get that one done. So we're talking now like 12, 13 hours of quote unquote research into a subject that I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, bro, it doesn't fucking matter. It, yeah. <laughs> do, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Who cares? Who fucking cares? What difference does it make, dude? But, you know, I say all that to say that, like, broadly speaking, I had the same shit with COVID, too. You know what I mean? Like, I have spent probably three, four hundred hours looking into like every detail of this covid thing right like i'm extraordinarily well read on the material right from all sides i would read everything i could get my hands on mainstream stuff alternative stuff whatever bro at the end of the day the lockdowns and masks happened and then they stopped happening when they stopped happening and nobody went and asked j david osborne for his advice on what to do you know like (laughs) again didn't fucking matter didn't fucking matter i started thinking about in terms of like history like if i was a peasant and there were two kingdoms at war right and i would just be out there farming my potatoes or whatever or whatever they grow in poland and i would just look out and like see people killing each other and i'm like that seems like none of my business you know i'm just gonna go back the the kings can fight over the princesses and whatever the fuck else they do land rights that seems like somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You got to disengage. Um, mm-hmm. Vince Staples was on my mind because he just dropped an album this week. 
And uh, I remember back in the day, he had said something in an early interview about they were asking, uh, oh, it wasn't that early, because it was after he signed to Def Jam. He had a song called uh, Hands Up, and it was, uh, you know, about, it was like a cop, you know, song, and uh, mm-hmm. about getting pulled over by the cops. And they were asking if it was about, uh, I think something happened in Flint around the time, or somewhere in Michigan. Okay. And uh, right. they were like, so this song is about that? And he was like, hold up, this song ain't about that. And they were like, well, what do you mean? Like, you don't, like, are you, you're not up to date with, like, the, you know, the social shit going on, you don't give a fuck or whatever. He was like, bro, I got so much shit happening up the street, I don't give a fuck what's happening around the country. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. And you can just, like, I mean, again, it's that graph of the goober and the sage, right? Like, at any given time, you want to be one of those two people. But you, you don't want to be that guy in the middle ever, right? Who's like, you know, well, actually, you know, uh, Marxism with a anarcho... I'm not even going to pretend to try to say the words that some of these people say. Because, um, you know, this is another thing that I like got into and like was listening to. And what, hmm, what would be the best system of governance for this country? Bro, who, 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 fucking, who cares? Yeah. Who yeah. No, I don't. Gives I don't care. A shit. Who gives a shit? You know, it's like you, just, you just circle back around. I think you, you know. Well, I'm not saying you. Let's say me, right? I go to co- I go to college. I uh, I get a stupid education that I can't remember anything about, except for it starts you thinking about all this kind of stuff that doesn't matter. Uh, and you look at the at the stupid fucking rednecks around you who just care about feeding their family and buying a jet ski and putting food on the table and 10 years later 10 years later pounds of chinese research chemicals and heartbreak later you're like damn i just want to like buy some jet skis and feed my family and uh, i think i'm good (laughs) that's hilarious that that's like where you went with that because like i'm standing Mm. i've circled back to i walked several blocks and i'm back in my driveway and like i can not across the street from me but on the other street and where i'm facing right now is a uh it's a foster family lives there <coughs> and they got a couple jet skis out front that's what's, up. Like, that's what's going on dude like, hell yeah you know why because fucking have you ever been on a sea do yeah yeah that shit it's is fun, fun. Dude. that shit is fun Who's the comedian who says you can't ever have a bad time on a sea Who Who is that? You know who I'm talking about? It was like a stand-up bit. I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah, I remember but, the bit, but I can't remember who said it. Well, whoever said it is 100% correct. But anyway, I think that um, one of the ethoses of this podcast is that, you know, we're all about, like, the indie, do-it-yourself, uh, stay, staying true to who you want to be as an artist. I'm also, um, this is a brief note. I'm also like post pretentious. Like I, I don't give a fuck what comes off as pretentious anymore. Um, or like cringe or anything like that. I just don't, I don't, I don't fucking care. Those are both, but you got to stay true to your art. Yeah. No, those are both good ones because everything that is true and good is either cringe or pretentious. Like you got to tell your homies, you love them. And you also have to just say what's right. Like, when you're right, you're right. And yeah. you can't let a motherfucker bitch you out about it. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know how many times, like, like on on uh, on Twitter, you know, I would like say something sincere, and somebody would just like say it back to me but with quotes around it, and I would be like the, I'd be like the rage Wojak, but he's like wearing a happy mask, like a smug happy mask, <laughs> but behind it, he's like he's like, Whoa! that would be me, like every time, and uh, yeah, now it's just like, man, fuck, who ca-? like again, who cares, right? Uh, so these things are all true. So we believe in the power of art and we believe that art is sacred and that it's important. And that if you, uh, you know, we do live in a world that is run by money. So becoming successful um, in the hopes of being able to both, you know, non-selfishly, you know, feed your family, but also selfishly kind of be able to do more art, right? Making money is like totally fine, but I think we're kind of both against the sort of crass uh, commercialization of your art to kind of do what everybody wants. Yeah, yeah. Now, sort of extremely simple. Like, I'm going to tell everybody how to do whatever you want and become successful with your art. Make a lot of art and don't stop and get a job. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Boom. Like, just work. Like, Boom. make money. That's one of your problems. You got to make money. So make money however you have to. And just make your art. Whatever, do whatever the fuck you want and do it a lot right and with somebody it's going to catch on if it's good and if it's not good maybe you should just stick to a hobby but yeah you know yeah that's why i don't tell anybody where i work now right like just keep that shit a secret so that i'm you know pretty much uncancelable <laughs> you know what i mean it's like you'll never find out who i work for well like and unless I'm, i guess you dox me well, i guess you could dox me i'm bulletproof because like I'm blue collar, so I do right. shit for myself. I do shit subcontracting, and right. even if a customer finds out I said something like whatever the fuck, they could you can show them whatever I've said. They'll be like, "Yeah, I don't care. I still need these cabinets." <laughs> yeah, man, that's the kind of that's the kind of career right now that you really want to have, right? Because then you have no fear whatsoever can piss anybody off and it doesn't matter that was when i was at my wildest on the internet was when i was homeless and just on drugs because like what what do i have to lose who gives a fuck you know i would just say anything to anybody because i didn't care but now uh as they say in breaking bad as tuco the drug dealer says to walter white he says i like working with a family man because there's collateral and uh you know now when you say things online there's quote-unquote collateral but then again not really not really. I'm still I'm still exercising that part of my of my pussification. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, and then the side of that the, the the side of that too is you just got to exercise the uh, the internet, like you know that nah. shit. Yeah, good point. You know, it's like I'm uncancelable, but I don't, I don't go around. I need to not be on Twitter, really. Just like everybody needs to mm-hmm. not be on Twitter. Dude, it's been a great great week so far. I said I was going to take a week off, but I always end up extending these out further and further because like twitter is just a fucking i mean if i can figure out how to use twitter as just a tool where i like pop on and say like hey here's something that i've done and have it work for me in that way not that it really does anything because i don't think people really see tweets i think a lot of people have me muted and then twitter just i think has me throttled anyway um just because it wants it knows it can get me to keep using it if i don't get those sweet sweet dopamine hits um so, yeah, there's really no fucking point, right? And I, I, I feel like if, if we write something that, that catches on, right, that if we write something that's good enough, people will just read it, you know? 
all this kind of like posing, you know, trying to read things that you're supposed to be reading. It'll all go away once, uh, for me at least, once I get off my ass and just start finishing books. Then it'll just be like, do you like these or not? Yeah, yeah, doing, like, the way I put out uh, Hurricane Season, like, limited and through my own store, like, I get to see who is ordering it and everything, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. none of this came from Twitter. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Right, right. And after the first 20, none of it came from friends either. It was just like, I don't know where the fuck. The, I guess people do talk about books somewhere. like Somewhere, yeah. We just we just don't know where they are. And people listen to this podcast too, which is nice. So getting a couple hundred downloads per episode, which is a, you know, to restart it, it's not bad. Um, so hello to everybody. Thank you for listening. Um Soon we'll have 2,000 downloads per episode. Then we'll be cooking with gas. Shit, and I'm going to really go the, off. I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. If people get all timid, they're right. like, now i got to mind my P's and Q's. I'm going to be like, 2,000 2, listeners, what up, N-words? Yep. Yeah, Gubby will just start saying it. <laughs> just, just, just with no filter whatsoever. Just full disclosure, um, I say it all the time in real life. Just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you sure do. Um, and I respect that about you, you know, because I really I really do think that that's, like, the next stage of human evolution, right, or, like, cultural evolution, right? Once, once we – I feel like we were getting close to it in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, because me and all of my, you know, black and white friends used to just say it, and it seemed like nobody cared anymore. And then, uh, you know, some college professors had to make money, so they started stirring the pot – and yeah. being like, hey, remember? Like, now, don't get me wrong. I also have black friends who have like never been cool with it, right? And I, around them, I I, res- I respect that. Well, I guess now I don't really, I don't really say it at all, unless I'm really mad. And then I say it into my pillow. But um, but no, yeah, the, the uh, <laughs> but no, I really do think I thought I think that we're close. I think that once we once we let white people say it again, I think that. Uh, the utopia will happen, you know, that fully luxury, luxurated space communism or whatever will be good. I mean, we just, we just want to say it. It's nothing personal. Yeah, no, it sounds so silly and like it's a, but it's another one of those really simple things too. That's like, Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of a metaphor for, uh, a, a completely open dialogue in a, in a, respect of everyone like you want equality like mm-hmm. okay i don't like you sometimes like there's people i don't right. like and i don't respect and then there's like mm-hmm. i'm just gonna say whatever and you can say whatever i'll say whatever and you and can be cool. like hey fuck you and i'll be like yeah i don't give a fuck what you think like right <laughs> and that's <laughs> classic <laughs> fucking classic and how how awesome would it be to just like have that be the beginning and end of flame wars on the internet right just be like, hey, fuck you, and then being like, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. I don't give a shit. I don't, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. It'll be like that. It'll be that, and it'll also be when you're just allowed, like you said, to just like not like certain people or things, and have that not make you a bad person for like not liking certain people or things. You know the kind of people yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good evening, ladies All and right. gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, anyway, folks, Visitor Q, um, if you want to watch it, go download it. Um, it's, uh, it's an hour and 24 minutes. It's nice and short. It's really fucked up. I don't know why you'd watch it. If uh, I don't know why we watched it. Uh, but damn, I love Miike, and I love I love that he made it right. You know, I, I think that you know if you're uh, artists that I respect, they all have like projects that I don't necessarily a hundred percent vibe with, but I just like admire the audacity that the thing got made at all. Yeah, yeah, it's like this is amazing, and uh, yeah, I, I don't want to watch it again a third time. No. <laughs> We'll just, we'll just, you know, we'll always have the memories, I guess. Um, but, all right, I think I'm going to cut it right about here. <laughs>